Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, as we continue on in our series, The Empowered Church, focusing upon uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in building His church. I don't know, some of you look tired this morning. <laughs> Especially you football fans. I understand that, but what, what if somebody came in to visit... By the way, we were just, we were just singing, uh, uh, you know, asking him to shine on us, uh, fill this land with the Father's glory, set our hearts on fire, okay? So someone walks in and says, where is the Holy Spirit in this church? I'm not blaming you football fans for this one, you know, because they, 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 this person has come from a different background, perhaps. And they say, you know, in the, in the church I grew up in, or I, I'm coming from, when, when we sing something like this, there, you know, there are people in the aisles. After we sing, there may be people beginning to speak in tongues. Maybe some prophesying. We've seen signs and wonders. <clears throat> because, after all, that's what happened in the book of Acts. And so, they come into our service, not just after a late football game, I mean any, any service. And they say, where is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in this place? What is your answer? How will we answer that? Is the Holy Spirit here? And if He is, why aren't those things happening that I just mentioned? Because they do appear in the book of Acts. Well, let's read this passage uh, in Acts 19. And this is, this is sometimes considered to be like the, the, uh, a mini-Pentecost. You had Pentecost, and then a, a, another one particularly in Acts 10 where you see some of these outward signs and wonders, and then here again in Acts 19, it says this, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we would ask that you would illumine our hearts so that we can understand better, grasp more, perhaps answer that question, and know the work of the Spirit on a personal level and here in our church. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's first take a look at this account. Uh, we look at those that, that Paul met. It says this in verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos, this is again Acts 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now, I need to clarify here. I think our tendency, it's my tendency, so I'm going to project that on you. Our tendency when we hear the phrase disciples, we assume it means Christians. That word is not always used that way in the New Testament. And that becomes one of the questions we've got to deal with here is we're were these guys Christians? They're called disciples. And uh, it, the, the term disciple can also mean a learner or a follower. And I'm convinced that's how it's being used in, in this case. Uh, they, they were followers of John and his message. So were they Christ followers, at least when he first met them? And he saw these disciples. Look at verse 2 and 3. It talks, I think, a little bit about their spiritual status. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <clears throat> so he's, he's convinced they believe in something. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is integral to Jesus. <laughs> Just remember that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Now, this is important. What we see here is that Paul does not presume because of these outward uh, their outward appearance and 
their apparent devotion, uh, from the fact that they, they believe something, so much so that they're sharing it with others, he does not presume that they are actually Christ followers, Christians. He asks analytical questions. Now, here's why that's important for us to, let's, you know, fast forward to here in South Carolina in the Bible Belt, which admittedly doesn't mean what it did 20, 40 years ago to live in the Bible Belt because we, we do run into uh, uh, completely unchurched and, and, and people and people that, you know, haven't had any church experience but still, we're, we're in the Bible Belt, and, and so here's the challenge. It's so common to talk about faith. And by the way, you know, I saw the contrast I, when I pastored in, in Pennsylvania, and then I, I moved to Atlanta, was there for 18 years. Well, I was actually kind of taken aback when in the first conversation you would have with somebody, they'd say, well, what church you go to? Why don't you come to my church? Because when I was in Pennsylvania, I'm not saying there aren't Christians there, there aren't believers or anything like that, but I am convinced that there were people that pretty much knew each other all their lives, and that never came up in a conversation. They might have known that they went to church or, uh, you know, they were churchgoers, but, uh, and it would never come up in a first conversation, not in polite company. I mean, you just, that's private. You don't do that. So, so it, it's different here, and, you know, if this is where you've lived all your life, you may not realize that's different than other parts of the country and parts of uh, the world, but that presents its own challenge, because so many presume they're Christians. And a lot of times in that conversation, that initial conversation, if you're talking what we would think of in terms of faith talk, it might be more like, well, I go to such and such a church. Or, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a deacon or an elder at, at such and such a church. Or uh, I'm a Sunday school uh, teacher. It still doesn't say anything about their faith. You know, some people, you may come into a church, we don't do this here, but, um, but there are some churches where you'll go in and they'll have pins for, have you been in a church where they have pins uh, on their lapel for uh, faithful attendance to Sunday school? You know, I've, without missing Sunday school, and some of them got pins and pins, you know, pins for Sunday school, and so someone could come into the church and say, wow, he must really be a Christian because they gave him medals for being a Christian. But you know what? Even that, even that is not enough. And faithfulness to church, being a deacon, an elder, those are, those are all wonderful fruit that should arise out of a, a genuine faith. And it's not just the outward part. So don't presume. Paul didn't presume. Uh, 
he asked an analytical question that fit for, for there. But let me give you a couple of analytical questions. If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? Now, there's not a person in this room that thinks they're going to die today or tonight. I don't think any of you do. But in my ministry, I've literally had someone in worship Sunday morning and said, she gave me a hug, said, I'll see you tonight at church. She was with the Lord before that in a car wreck. None of us know, do we? I mean, we really don't know. If that happened to you, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And then, here's the key, because someone could say, yeah, I'd go to heaven, but they really aren't going to heaven because they might have been thinking about, you know, how they were going to get there in a wrong way. And so, there's another analytical question, and that is, Okay, suppose you were to die and stand before God and He said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? See, that's the key. Because if someone would say, well, look at my pins, you know, or I'm a deacon or I'm an elder or I've been baptized or I'm a member of a church or I think I've done more uh, you know, good things than bad, any of those things, it, it's not sufficient. So what is the right answer? Well, Paul went on after asking this analytical question and discerning that these, they, they really weren't believers in Christ because they, they didn't know at th that point they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They didn't really get it about Jesus. They knew there was one coming. They, they didn't know about Him. So Paul went on to explain this faith. Verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And then he gave them the answer. That is Jesus. See, that's... The key. He told him about Christ. And so if you're asked that question, it's, it's trusting in Jesus alone for eternal life. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but that's what it is in answering to God. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross, and only that. That's why I say trusting in Jesus alone for eternal life. Look what else happened in this account. There was a confirmation of the reality of their faith, verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. They understood who Christ was. They believed in him. To make a public declaration of that faith, Paul baptized them, and the Holy Spirit immediately entered into them. And then, as evidenced, 
that this was of God, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. You see, that's where our friend that's come in and looked around, that's where they get that doctrine. These places in Acts where it talks about somebody uh, coming to Christ and, and speaking in another language or prophesying. We need to understand this. These men didn't have the scriptures to turn to in order to understand what they had done. They didn't have the gospels or the epistles that talk about genuine faith, that talk about assurance of salvation. And so in their case, there was a need for this outward visible sign from God that this was authentic. What happened here came from God. Now, we need to figure out what this means. And whether this is, this is what ought to take place with us too. Getting back to our initial question as to whether we need that. Do we need to speak in tongues and prophesy in order to know that our faith is for real? I have been told that by individuals, that I need that for my faith to be real. But the short answer to that question is no, we don't need that. We don't. Now, let's, let's figure this out. Why would I say that? Well, we, we have talked about the nature of the book of Acts and any historical book. It's a narrative. It's what happened at that uh, place and time in history but we need to understand that it's a historical book, but it's also transitional. And we should not take our doctrines, our primary doctrines, from historical sections where God just says, this is what happened. We believe that's exactly what happened. But it could have happened one time for a certain purpose. It could have happened two times or three times. That's apparently what happened. That's all we know of in the book of Acts. And so if, for instance, this, this was uh, uh, to be a doctrine of the church, we would see over in the epistles to the churches, we would see teaching about that, regulating of it, how we are to understand it, expanding on it, and that's not how we see it treated in other parts of Scripture. In this case, it showed the new believers that the salvation that they received was the same that was seen back on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Joseph Dillow put it this way, we must not make the tragic mistake of teaching the experience of the apostles but rather we must experience the teaching of the apostles. The experience of the apostles is found in the transitional book of Acts, while the teaching of the apostles is set forth clearly in the epistles, which are our guide for our Christian experience today. Let me tell you what this does not prove. It does not prove that there's some kind of a second blessing that after you come to Christ at some later point, you need to look for this some kind of an outward sign or wonder in your life. 
the book of Acts reveals how this new epic began in terms of the working of the, the Holy Spirit. It does not prove that tongues and prophecy are normal or normative for today. Once again, there's no indication of that in the teaching portion of uh, the New Testament. When Paul deals with tongues and the, the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 10 to 12, it's correcting the abuse of them, not endorsing them, not pushing for them or saying, all of you are going to have these. It's not encouraging them. Although they hear indeed spoken tongues after their true conversion, attesting to their conversion, there are many uh, conversions and baptism in the book of Acts where tongues were not experienced. So it wasn't even normative for that time and that place. For instance, you have 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. You don't have any record of them speaking in tongues. You have the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, the Ethiopian official, Lydia and the Philippian jailer and their households and so on. Tongues is not mentioned when they are converted and when they are baptized. So it wasn't even the normal thing in that day to take that and imply it would be normal for us is to not recognize this, the right science of interpretation of the Scripture. It was a unique time for a unique purpose. And then the temporary nature of that gift is also shown that each time it's given, it was under the oversight of the apostles. And you know what? We don't even have the office of apostle any longer. There are people that call themselves apostles so-and-so. But in terms of the biblical office, apostles and prophets were foundational. It tells us Ephesians 2.20. You know, when we built our building, the foundation was laid, and it didn't go all the way up the side and on the roof and keep going up there. It was laid once, and then the building was built on top of that. And, and that's what it says was the purpose of the apostles. Unique time, unique place for a unique purpose. So what it does show is this, with, with these disciples. That sincere following of God is not enough. Now that's important in our day. Here were these disciples. They, they were very sincere but they just they didn't get it. They didn't have all the information even. It wasn't that they had even rejected uh, Christ or the Holy Spirit. They, they didn't know it yet. But that wasn't enough. Paul would not leave them there. In our day, we're in a day where you know, nobody wants to get into anybody else's business and you know, well, if it works for you, that's good. Just believe something and pursue that. And that's a deadly, eternally deadly view. It's not just enough to believe something and be sincere. Miracles weren't to initiate belief. They followed faith. And also assurance of salvation must be from God. 
You know, some are looking for an experience that will validate the truth of their salvation. You know, give me a sign or a wonder, then I'll at least know I'm, I'm saved. Well, they, they weren't asking for signs or wonders. So how do we? How do we understand the Spirit and the working of the Spirit today? Well, understand this. If, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you have the Holy Spirit. He is dwelling within you. When we say Jesus lives in my heart, the most correct way to say that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ lives in my heart. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But then we read about something else, about being filled with the Spirit. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Ephesians 5 verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How are we going to understand the will of the Lord? Here's what it says, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what it's saying? It's not saying don't ever drink wine. But it's saying, look, don't use this artificial thing, in this case wine, to address your deeper needs. You know, don't, don't get drunk because you're struggling with something and it'll help you through that time. Because here's the problem with getting drunk with wine. You sober up at some point. And you feel worse, and the problem's still there, right? That's not going to work. So Paul uses this one example of an artificial high. Now, I don't think for a moment that that's the only thing people tried instead of the Holy Spirit. It, it could be, you know, uh, drugs. You know, it could, it could be pornography. It could be Facebook. <laughs> it could be worship. Wrongly done. or other experiences. Here's what you can be sure of. If you're pursuing those things, you know, I got, I got to get a buzz. I got to get, I, I got to drink some more to get away from here. There's a hole in your heart that you're trying to fill. Whether it's any of those things or we could stand here and name them all day long, things that people pursue to try to fill up that hole in their heart. And, and Paul is saying, look, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit. Fill that hole with the Spirit. That's what you need. 
And so what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? What's that look like? Remember our friend that walks in and says, I don't see signs and wonders. The Spirit must not be here. What does it look like? Well, Mark talked about this from Colossians and talking about community groups. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's one of the things that will happen it, it will, worship will bubble out of you. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm happy you came, even if you're really tired. Because that's what those who are filled with the Spirit do. That's what we do. And it'll come out of us. We'll be sincere worshipers. And then it says, Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If, the, if, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be a thankful person. It will, it will come out of you. You will see things differently and you will thank God for things that people without the Spirit would never want to thank God for. And then it says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. We will have right relationships. We are all in, in uh, relationships of submission. I don't care what you're, whether you're a man or a woman. Or, and, and, and Paul goes on and talks about it in marriage and talks about it in, in, uh, between parents and children, talks about it between slaves and their masters. And all of them are in, in uh, relationships where submission to one another is a sign you got the Spirit. So, being filled with the Spirit is more. It's not less than an ecstatic experience that makes us feel good. And it'll have a profound effect on our lives. That, my friend, who has walked through the door, that's what the Spirit is. It's people here that are loving one another, that are lifting their voices to the the king, that are thankful in their life. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. This week, I think probably the most discussed, uh, discussed event was the performance of Miley Cyrus at the VMA Awards. I think there was more on the news about that than there was about Syria and, you know, all, all the other things going on. The, the reactions to that were all over the boards from, you know, most were disgusted by it, some were fascinated by it, and some were saying, well, she's free to do whatever she wants to do, and, you know, and, and everything in between, but most were shocked. And by the way, if you haven't seen that performance, I don't recommend, don't, don't go Googling it. Uh, you can read about it. If, you, if you're curious and you don't know what I'm talking about. But here is a girl who started as a, a Disney star. Gave us Hannah Montana. Great character. And she has evolved by her own doing into one who is self-exploiting her sexuality, her humanity, and she's being exploited too. Don't kid yourself, but 
but she's doing it to herself. So what should be our reaction to this? Well, it was disgusting, but don't stop with disgust. You hear what I'm saying? That, that might have been your initial reaction. That's disgusting. But don't, don't stop there. Pray for her. She has got in her heart a huge hole that somehow she is trying to fill. And that's one individual, but we need to understand this. There are Miley Cyruses at Irma High School and Middle School and Crossroads and Dutch Fork High School and Lexington and, yeah, even Ben Lippin. And there are Miley Cyruses that are being homeschooled, maybe your neighbors. And some of you might have a Miley Cyrus in your own family that has this hole in, and they're trying to fill it. And some of you may be her. And you might say, oh, oh, I would never do anything like that. I'm not saying that. Maybe you wouldn't. But if you're trying to fill that hole with something other than the Spirit, it's parallel. Think about who Jesus hung out with when he was here. He hung out with the ones that society said were disgusting. Because he could see. He saw their real need. It wasn't about their disgusting actions or lifestyle or choices. It was a hole in their heart that only he could fill. Will you pray with me that God will give us eyes to see people the way Jesus saw them? Let's, let's pray together.